Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome into AOA, Agriculture of America. Great to have you with us here once again on the program. I am your host, Jesse Allen. Exciting lineup on the show today. We have a lot of ground to cover. Give it up at the end of the program. We're going to have a conversation with Matt Simpson from Brazil Potash. Uh, an interesting uh, story that I, I read from them. We're going to talk about some of the work they're doing in South America and just talk about the global food supply in general. So that's coming up here at the end of the show today. In segment three, we're going to talk with Chad Hansen, the president of Corporate Farmer, about tax season. We know that's coming up right around the quarter here as we're getting towards the end of the year. So we will have that conversation and get some tips from him coming up in segment three today at the bottom of the hour. And then in segment two, we're going to get an update on the carbon pipeline situation. Joe Heinrich with Smart Carbon Network will be joining us for a conversation. First up, though, on the program, let's take a look at what's going on in the markets. Soybeans have found their way above $13. Now we're trying to hold above that mark. We're bumping up against some pretty key resistance levels here and much more. Joining us now to talk markets, Jim McCormick with agmarket.net. Jim, great to have you on AOA. Hope you're doing well, my friend. Doing well. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Well, let's dive in. As I mentioned, Jim, we, we got through $13, that psychological mark in November beans. We've seen bean meal on a tear this week. Uh, but, you know, we look at the markets right now, and it feels like we're starting to struggle with some other key resistance levels here in this soy complex, like the 40-day moving average, the 100-day, the 200-day, et cetera. What's your take on this uh, this soy complex overall right now? Well, we've had a pretty good run here the last couple of days. I'd argue the meal's been the lead dog dragging everything up. But, yeah, you, you, I think you nailed it. You pretty much went to the 100-day, your 40-day, 50-day, are all converging right around um, this 13, 17 zone, 13, 17, 18. That paused us here, maybe causing a little bit of a backfill, a little bit of a check on, on it. Weather still in South America is maybe a little bit better than it was yesterday. They're finally talking a little bit better chances of rain in Argentina, which has been very, very dry. Northern Brazil still a little bit dry. So, you know, the weather picture is not perfect, but it's improved a little bit. So maybe that's pulling a little bit of back backfill. The meal is still up today. It's off its highs. This meal situation is very interesting because I think what's going on, and Argentina has this big presidential election here this weekend. Depending on who gets elected, it'll have a huge impact, Jesse, potentially on the world supply of grains and how it's moved around. And the fact that there is one of the one of the um, officials trying to be elected is expected to be very liberal, very economic friendly to the farmer if he would get elected. So I would say if he does get elected, you might see even more meal stay off the world market, at least temporarily, till this new president gets sworn in at the beginning of 2024. So that gives a little bit of a void in the world market for meal that Argentina usually fills. That could bring more demand to the U.S. I think that's part of the reason why meal has been running the last couple of days. Yeah, that's a great uh, anecdote there. It's something to definitely think about. Uh, and, and, you know, it feels like the soy complex overall has kind of helped pull corn and wheat along for the ride, or at least uh, kind of looked over its shoulder and said, hey, or, you know, corn and wheat, are you coming along for the ride or, or not here? Uh, but yet corn largely just kind of chop it around still right under uh, this $5 mark in D's corn and just feels like corn is kind of stuck right now, Jim. You nailed it, Jesse. I mean, the beans pulled the corn up. The bean supply situation is what's very tight. The projected carryout, $220 million, pretty much is pipeline level. The crop got smaller here in October. Traditionally, when it gets smaller in September and October, it gets smaller in November. So if that crop does shrink a little bit, it's going to tighten the balance sheet. That's what's friendly. On the other side, the corn balance sheet is really quite burdensome. When you're looking at 2.1, 2.15 carryout right now, we've got more than enough corn to feed our needs and the rest of the, you know, and anything we're projected exports, which have been horrendously bad because of the low river levels. So it's a, it's a different problem for the corn market. And I think that keeps corn somewhat in a range. If we can get over five, maybe get to the 100 day moving average at 510, but I believe you're going to run into a lot of producer hedging around 510 on 
on up. On the other hand, you probably will find support down near the 475, 480 zone, kind of the lower end of the band, as end users will step up because of the uncertainty going on in the world. The domestic demand for corn via ethanol is phenomenal. Margins are great. So that should also find you know end user support down on those breaks as well for that reason. Well, and you mentioned a little bit of producer hedging there, Jim. Uh, what are you hearing across the countryside? I've heard it both ways. I've heard if folks have the on-farm storage, they're putting a lot of this crop in the bin and waiting to hopefully get some better prices. You know, uh, the cost of, of DP right now, obviously with interest rates and more, is not that friendly. But then I'm also hearing some folks are taking advantage and selling a little bit here off the combine if they don't have the on-farm storage. So, what are you hearing? What's the overall prevailing theme? Are we storing it or are we selling it right now? Well, right now, I think because of the charges and the interest on the money and like that, I think in general, producers that can't store it on farm, a lot of them are choosing to move it to generate cash flow right now. Like I said, you know, when you're looking, you can put money in a money market at 5%. You've got to, you've got to take that in consideration as opposed to, you know, paying for commercial storage and deferred pricing fees that you know you're essentially paying fees where you can essentially generate revenue and like i said put in a money market and gain five percent now the producers that are storing grain on farm putting in the bin that makes sense to me based on the carry you're looking at deep corn today at 495 you're looking at may corn at 514 but i do want to caution you jesse and all the listeners out there if we are moving to a bear market okay in a 2.1 billion carryout, you could argue will put us into a bear market if South America weather cooperates. What happens is where the spot month goes off, the back months eventually work to. Spot month, September corn went off the board around 465. So if we do get in the bear market, you could see these corn eventually slide to 465 going into delivery, and the same thing could happen to these spring months. So looking at that carry and putting your grain in the bin makes sense, but you also want to lock in some of that, either via the cash at futures or even consider buying options, maybe at least put a floor under that in case we do move into that traditional bear market. Talking markets with Jim McCormick from agmarket.net right now. Jim, uh, cattle market's a little bit lower on Thursday. I have to think we're maybe squared up positions ahead of Friday afternoon's cattle on feed report. Squaring up positions on cattle on feed, no doubt about it. I think the thing's going to be the same. We know the cattle supply is going to remain tight. They're going to confirm it again on Friday. Then it's all going to come down to the consumer. How much is the consumer actually going to be willing to pay up for it? It's an interesting note right now. We actually, for the first time ever, we produce more chicken in the U.S. than we do any other protein out there. Chicken is one of the more one of the more cheaper proteins, obviously, out there as well. So that's what the cattle guy is going to look at. The battle of tight supply versus what the consumer says, I can't afford it, student loan debt, high interest on my credit cards, whatever it may be, economic uncertainty. That could be the problem down the line for the cattle market. Well, I know folks can find you guys very easily online to uh, get any advice. Agmarket.net, they can get a hold of you on the phone and much more. Jim McCormick, Agmarket.net, always great to talk with you, my friend. Thanks for joining us on AOA today, and we will talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Jim McCormick there with agmarket.net here on AOA. Brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Everyday products powered locally by Cenex. Coming up next, we're going to talk with Joe Heinrich with the Smart Carbon Network. That's coming up after the break here on AOA, Agriculture of America. People look at your farm, they just see corn. But to you, it's a lot more than that. It's a college fund, your retirement plan, and it deserves trait protection that can stand up to heavy pressure threats like corn woodworm. SmartStacks Pro with RNAi technology is trusted on over 1 million acres to protect the things that mean more. Trade up at SmartStacksPro.com. Always read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure protection services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. 
If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. This is Ernie Johnson Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles. And college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill. Or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel and Cenex Roadmaster XL, everyday products powered locally by your friends at Cenex. Find your nearest Cenex location online very easily, Cenex.com. Well, joining us now, we want to turn our attention to what is going on with carbon pipelines and much more across the country. Joe Heinrich with the Smart Carbon Network is back with us here on AOA Today. Joe, it's great to talk with you again, sir. Hope you're doing well. Oh, always great visiting with you, too. Yeah, it's a good morning in eastern Iowa. Let's put it that way. So good day to go harvest corn. <laughs> I was going to say. I was going to say, how is uh, corn harvest doing there at Eastern Iowa? Can you get us up to speed real quick on that first? Oh, you bet. Yeah, I think things are moving along really well. Uh, a lot of soybeans have come out uh, up until that rain last week, uh, and the yields have been varied. We were in a dry pocket here, and uh, you hear, you're hearing numbers all over the board. Corn, everybody's just getting a good run at, and it's going to be where you lived, Uh if you got a, few, a couple of timely rains, uh, yields are quite a bit better, and uh, some of the areas are a little bit tough. So it's going to be uh, one I think we'll all be glad to have in the books and hope for a better year next year. Definitely, definitely. All right, Joe, well, let's dive in and talk about what's going on with uh, carbon pipelines. And uh, this is something that uh, we've been following quite a bit. I know you and I have talked about this quite a bit. Uh, get us up to speed if you can on the latest. I know we've seen a lot of uh, permit denials in North and South Dakota, for instance, uh, for both Summit and Navigator. So where do things stand right now? Could you give us an update? Yeah, I can as far as what I've been reading and seeing. Um, uh, it sounds like uh, Summit is, is reapplying. It looks like they're probably going to have another hearing in North Dakota where they're going to sequester. Uh, South Dakota, I know that uh, Summit's looking at doing something there. I think uh, Navigator has said they're putting that stuff on hold for the time being. Uh, not sure what they're going to do. Same with Iowa. And Illinois, um, there is an extra, another third pipeline. That's that Wolf Pipeline that's going to tie ADM together. And those are proceeding. Um, and I think Navigator's kind of 
put uh, the Illinois part on hold also. So it's from what I've read and seen so far. And uh, Wolf is still moving forward. Obviously, the hearings with Summit in Iowa. So a lot of activity. Um, we talked so much about the pipelines. I, I just hope we all are talking about the opportunities that come with the carbon capture. Uh, we, you know, we need to be talking about the why we are doing it also, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I know uh, Smart Carbon Network, you guys have uh, talked about that quite a bit, and and I want to dive into that with you a little bit more. Uh, you look at, the, for instance, the latest uh, USDA farm sector income forecast and looking at net farm income decreasing by $48 billion, net cash farm income down $60.5 billion. You guys are trying to make the argument that carbon capture technology could help be a boost to the farm economy. Is that right? Yeah, it's a one-two punch. I really I really believe that. First off, it's going to help hold our markets. Uh, with that ethanol, it's, uh, low-carbon ethanol is something that's going to sell at a premium. It's going to help make sure that all those ethanol plants that we have all over the Midwest can stay competitive, can stay profitable, which helps agriculture because, in turn, that gives us a better price for our corn, that we're selling there. And um, that definitely increases uh, the bottom line. I, I look at it in our operation, even conservative numbers say if we don't, aren't able to get low carbon ethanol, um, it could easily cost 50 cents a bushel in basis because there's not gonna be that demand for the corn in the area. When you think how much corn goes to ethanol, uh, you know, normal years we're gonna produce towards 200 bushel. Well, that's $100 an acre. So, you know, we're talking real dollars here that if we can, get carbon capture set up that's the phase one to keep it and then there's so many more opportunities beyond just the ethanol part of it so what are you hearing in conversations with fellow farmers and ranchers and industry folks across the midwest i mean it, it seems like we hear a lot of back and forth in the news about carbon pipelines and carbon capture and many folks who are for it many folks who are against it What's some of the latest you're hearing in conversations as you talk with folks across the Midwest? Is there an overarching theme of more people are for them, more people are against it? Is it still split down the middle? I mean, where do things stand right now? You know, I you hear those really strong voices against it, and you hear those strong voices for it. Uh, what I hear a lot of the ones I end up talking to and, and in organizations when I go out and talk there's a whole lot of people saying, what's this all about? And, and wanting to understand more about it. Um, they're, they're nervous because they're hearing all this information coming from the anti, uh, you know, the people who are opposed to it. And, and they're saying, is this all true? And what, we, what Smart Carbon's always tried to do is let's get the correct information out there. You know, let's talk about that safety issue uh, because carbon, especially carbon pipelines, uh, you know, they've been around since the 1970s and there's only been two incidences, which you never want any, but that's still a great track record uh, for pipelines. And then you talk about the eminent domain, the, the <clears throat> land reclamation, and there's answers to those things that we can work through, but we just have to be talking about it. And I think most people that I'm running into want more information, and that's what we're trying to do. But it's such an emotional issue, people are, are afraid to talk too loudly about it because it, it gets that emotion back up. And we really need to have the conversation of, why we need it you know we keep talking are you for or against the pipeline well why do you need the pipeline it's because we have a commodity there for the midwest that co2 and i will argue it's a commodity that we ha we can capture um we can capture economic benefit from it if we are in the driver's seat to say how we're going to do this and we're we really are that at that crossroads right now to decide that we're having a conversation today with Joe Heinrich, the executive director of the Smart Carbon Network. And Joe, you brought up a key point there, the eminent domain aspect of this. And that seems to be a very contentious point in a lot of this discussion. And I know, for instance, in South Dakota, there's a campaign going on uh, looking at reforming eminent domain. And obviously there's been yeah. uh, talk across the Midwest about eminent domain laws here as well. And to me, it sounds like from what you're hearing, there's still a lot of 
I guess, a lot of education and a lot of uh, good old-fashioned conversations that just need to happen to figure out a, a path here, whether it's going to be for or against carbon pipelines here in the Midwest, Joe. Yeah, I, I love how you just stated that because we need to have that conversation. And it really does. I said, somebody asked how I was going and what, what I'm up to. And I said, it's one handshake and one smile at a time. It really is. You got to go out and talk to people and, and you know walk them through their concerns. I had a great example of that of, of a farmer that called me uh, about a week ago and we talked through it. And it's she said, I'm not getting the information uh, from their their land is going to be where one of the pipelines could possibly go through. And she said, I'm not getting the information I need. And we walked through it. She had some questions. We answered them. And I think she felt better about it. I'm still not sure where she's going to be, but at least she has the information to to make those decisions, you know, with a, a good informed decision. And so it really is just answering those questions and, and talking about it. And, uh, you know, I get the the concerns about safety and I, get, I, you know, we live out here on, you know, we live out here in rural Iowa too. I, I'm always concerned about the safety and, and the eminent domain, you know, we, that's a last resort. That's a no win for anybody. It's, it's not something farmers want. The landowners don't want it. And I, I would be willing to bet a whole bunch of Mountain Dew that uh, the the companies that's a total last resort uh, when it comes to it because it doesn't make any friends. It, it's 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 a messy thing to go through. And so, with mm -hmm. there's things we can do ahead of that. There's things that can be done to try to mitigate, negotiate. They have to talk between each other. The landowners have to talk to these companies, the companies need to talk to the landowners and, and be more one-on-one. -on -one. And I, I think a lot of those uh, efforts could really uh, help get through it. And so we start to understand the why we need it. Well, Joe, if folks are looking for more information and they want to read more, learn more, talk to someone, maybe with the Smart Carbon Network, for instance, uh, I'm sure you guys have a lot of great information and resources available, especially online, don't you, Joe? You bet. Uh, SmartCarbonNetwork.com, and there's information. There's different things that we've put out, and different information that we've gleaned that we put on the site. Also, if you want me to contact and visit with you, or if you have any events or anything that you'd like to come have us come and visit at, uh, I'd be glad to do that too. Because it's mm -hmm. it's all about like we just talked about that one on one, and uh, let's have an informed discussion and work through this. SmartCarbonNetwork.com is where you can find more information. We've been talking with Joe Heinrich, the Executive Director for the Smart Carbon Network. Joe, great to have a conversation with you. Have a fantastic rest of your day. You too. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk farm taxes and accounting. Chad Hansen with Corporate Farmer will join us on the program next here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Back with more after this. challenge. It's not something you shy from. It's a chance to up your game. Every day brings a new challenge, but with the Enhanced Channel Seed brand on your side, you can rise to it. With our top-performing seed, innovative digital tools, and expanded agronomic support, you can turn tomorrow's challenges into your next advantage. Your Enhanced Channel Seed brand. Let's rise to the challenge. Learn more at channel.com rise. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. The grains and oil seeds are starting off mixed, but hovering right around unchanged for most of them. Bean meal is the leader to the upside currently. While livestock is mixed, fats and feeders are lower. Feeders lead in the descent there. Hogs are slightly higher. 
Now, gains in the soy meal and soybean market are being limited by forecasts that have turned much wetter for center west Brazil next week, which should allow this year's soybean crop to get off to a good start if those rains do actually verify. Meanwhile, corn and wheat prices are continuing to chop in a sideways pattern, while traders are monitoring headlines from both the Black Sea and from the Middle East. An increase in Midwest rains next week are expected to slow harvest progress, which should slow the pace of farmer movement as well. The November beans, though, are higher for the fourth straight day and five of the past six days. Just since October 5th, December soy meal has soared over $50 per ton. Now, that's the largest soy meal exports in 20 years, which have sent spot soy meal to the highest level since August. Bean oil futures are again under pressure for the third straight day, likely weakened by the lower palm oil market and crude oil weakness. Soybean crush margins, though, have recently improved, and the soy basis is on the rise. U.S. soybeans have become more competitive in the world, with much of Brazil's soybeans already committed. Yesterday, another soy sale was announced sold to China. That would be of 132,000 metric tons, or 4.85 million bushels. That is likely part of the 3-5 cargo rumor that we had heard a few days ago. And corn futures currently are mixed. The central corn belt has a clear radar and harvest activity should remain brisk into the weekend. The VIX is trading near 19 this morning. That's after spiking above 20 overnight. The dollar is pulling back and crude oil prices are over 1% lower currently. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And thanks for staying with us here on Agriculture of America, AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a diesel that doesn't mess around, fueled by innovation and power to perform. Find your nearest Cenex location online very easily at Cenex.com. Well, harvest season rolling along across the country, but before we know it, it's going to be the end of the year. Tax season is just around the corner. And, you know, uh, spending years as a farm broadcaster and throughout agriculture, I've met a lot of great people, a lot of uh, very insightful people in terms of different aspects of the agriculture industry. And I I put in a call to uh, one of those people to join me here on the show today to talk about the upcoming tax season and provide some reminders. Chad Hansen, president of Corporate Farmer, located in Mason City, Iowa. Chad, it's great to talk with you again, my friend. How are you? You too, Jesse. Been a been a while, but uh, always good to catch back up with you and uh, chat about agriculture. Yeah, I do uh, appreciate uh, the conversations we've had. We had a lot of them uh, in the past uh, when I used to work in Iowa and uh, now uh, able to have a conversation here on AOA. And so thanks for the time today. Let's let's dive in and talk a little bit here. And as I mentioned, you know, tax season's right around the corner. It's hard to believe that we're already in October. I mean, we're going to be thinking about a lot of things here before year end. As as we look across the, the tax outlook here for agriculture, for farm tax, is there anything big that we need to keep an eye on here? Has, has anything changed, I guess, Chad? Let's start there. Yeah, I, I think the easiest answer to that is that we haven't seen a whole lot of changes uh, in the in the last several years, and, and I don't think we expect anything until, uh, you know, some of the tax provisions there back uh, with the Trump tax cuts start to sunset. Um, so 
that part of it is not going to change significantly, but I think one thing that that we've been trying to uh, remind some of our clients and I think is uh, important to consider is just, uh, you know, the fact that we've come out of uh, a pandemic era um, and that changed some of our habits when it comes to tax planning and specifically, I would say, uh, expenses. You know, everybody was concerned with inflation and, you know, wanting to uh, lock in a lot of inputs to protect, uh, you know, against scarcity there. And what that did was, um, you know, create a situation where um, there was a lot of prepayment, specifically last year, you know, for fertilizer, getting that locked in, um, you know, before the end of the year. Um, you know, but also in other areas, seed, even chemicals, you know. Um, and so what, what, what that caused is um, kind of a scenario whereby you kind of bought that ticket, right, that you uh, started prepaying some of those things. And now, um, you know, with, with, you know, income typically kind of lagging behind at the beginning of the year, and, and then we all know that prices and yields were in mm-hmm. most areas better last year is, uh, you know, you, you might find yourself in, in a kind of a pickle as far as tax-wise, and you might have to look at some of those expenses, even though um, maybe not as worked out, um, you know, higher prices in the, in the next year on inputs and uh, aren't as concerned about the scarcity. We, we might actually, uh, you know, ha- have a lot, lot larger tax bill if we don't than we would like. And so I think, uh, again, it's kind of, I always explain it as uh, you bought that ticket, now you're going to have to continue to, to show up, you know, for uh, for the the, the event um, at this mm-hmm. point in time. And, and so working yourself kind of out of that habit is uh, going to take some planning and a little bit of time for sure. Well, and thinking about just uh, to a lot of the points you said, we obviously have seen higher input costs. There's a lot of worry about the overall economy and interest rates and things like that. And, you know, I know a lot of farmers and ranchers have, have had a successful few years and maybe still have some of that cash in the bank. But, you know, you turn around, you look at the end of the year and thinking forward and a lot of those concerns out there. You know, Chad, I, I have to think that uh, to your points, it's it's got to give some folks maybe a little pause before they go decide to to buy a new combine or a tractor or a, a new pickup truck here at the end of the year. They they have to be smart uh, about what they're doing and, and looking at their bottom line, don't they? You, you sound like you've been uh, working with me here lately, Jesse. I, I, I think that's right <laughs> in line with what I've been trying to uh, remind people, you know, as we we also get lulled into low interest rates. And it, I mean, money was cheap, right? So, you know, people were buying things, crops were good, prices were good, uh, you know, let's upgrade some equipment, uh, do all those things. And now, you know, as uh, we kind of see some areas that were affected by the drought, and obviously we all know what's happened to prices, uh, you know, in the last several months and um, interest rates, my goodness, you know, I mean, they've doubled, tripled, uh, you know, that kind of puts uh, a little bit of a thought into your mind that it's time to pause right on some of those big purchases and then cash flow. You know, I mean, if you're sitting here looking at a situation where you haven't marketed a whole lot of your crop um, for 2023 at this point in time, you know, you're probably not wanting to let go of it, you know, at the lows. And so uh, if you're going to look to store that, now that means we got to start tapping into that operating note to pay some of these expenses I'm talking about. And when you could be looking at eight, nine percent interest or higher, I mean that starts to add up pretty quick. And so, cash flow now has become, you know, an important part of the decision making process. And I think, uh, you know, for for many people, um, I, I think that they've got to start to look at things a little bit differently than they have in the past. And you know, so much of that is inflation, interest rates, and uh, you know, and then kind of this whole outlook on what the ag economy may look like in the next year or two. We're talking with Chad Hansen, the president of Corporate Farmer, talking tax season right around the corner. Chad, uh, let's talk a a few general reminders heading into the end of the year. Uh, I'm sure any 
fellow accountants or CPAs listening in will be happy uh, for us to share just some general, <laughs> gentle <laughs> reminders to folks. What are some things that they need to just think about and keep in mind as they're getting things ready here for the end of the year uh, with, you know, there's holidays coming up, harvest is wrapping up. It's a busy time, but what are some things that folks need to just remember in general? Yeah, maybe uh, one thing to fall into that category is crop insurance. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot of people with revenue claims this year. And, uh, you know, I've even had a couple people mention, well, I can defer that, right? Um, you know, because it's crop insurance. And I, I think that for many people, they probably haven't collected on crop insurance in a while. And so they may need a little bit of a quick refresher on how that works. But you, you can defer for tax purposes, uh, the crop insurance, if it's from um, some kind of damage, like, you know, if you had hail or wind or something like that that caused the uh, damage to the crop. But here we're, we're generally going to be talking about revenue claims because of the lack of moisture. You know, your revenue is going to be down, your bushels are going to be down, and that portion of it will not be able to be deferred into mm -hmm. next year. So I think that's something that people need to keep in mind because uh, it's going to be pretty prevalent, at least uh, I know in, in many places in, in the Midwest. Um, you know, outside of that, I, I think that uh, it, it's, it, it's definitely a time, as we talked, you know, earlier about uh, some of the kind of economic impacts that are affecting uh, decision-making that, that you start a little bit earlier than what you normally do, get a little bit more organized um, than maybe what you're accustomed to because I think that, uh, again, everybody likes to kind of wait to the last minute, but we've got this opportunity, right, because of the fact that we've had, you know, an early harvest um, for most and it looks like they're going to get wrapped up earlier. So, I think switching gears a little bit and getting that started um, a little bit sooner is going to help with the fact that, uh, you know, maybe you're not looking to buy any big equipment or some of these easy way outs. And and one thing um, to mention on that front is, is that we haven't really seen any changes, obviously, with Section 179 and the quick write-off there of equipment. But, you know, for people that are um, looking at buildings or maybe aren't able to take advantage of Section 179 because they don't have enough earned income, you know, bonus depreciation has been something that we've fallen back on a lot in the last several years, and that is only 80% for this year as it starts to kind of um, step down um, as we talk about those sunsets with the uh, Trump tax cuts. And so, you know, we're hopeful that Washington, as they kind of approve a long-term spending agreement, that they'll uh, push that back up to 100% and, and some of the other things that are looking at, um, you know, going away or stepping down here um, this year or into next year. But, um, you know, there's no guarantees there. So if you uh, have put up a building, that might change the fact that you counted on 100% and now it's only going to be 80 next year, 60, you know, and, and down 20% each year. Another big thing I think to think about is federal estate taxes as we move forward. Um, mm -hmm. That is going to sunset after 2025. And, you know, we're we're looking at, you know, $14, 15000000 million that we've, uh, you know, are, are able to, to, you know, pass on to our kids here over the next couple of years. But in 2026, that falls back to somewhere near $7 million, um, adjusted for inflation. So, you know, that's something that uh, people probably haven't looked at their estate plans in several years. Probably time to start thinking about that again. Well, I know a lot of great insight there, Chad. And folks, if they have questions, I know they can find you guys very easily online, corporatefarmer.com. It's a great place to start. Their toll-free number and everything is there as well. Chad Hansen, president of Corporate Farmer, thanks for joining me here on AOA today. We'll have to get you back on the show again soon. Thank you very much, Jesse. Chad Hansen again there with Corporate Farmer talking tax season coming up. All right, up next, we're going to talk with Matt Simpson from Brazil Potash here on AOA. Brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Back with more right after this. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. 
Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. So how's harvest? Higher yield potential starts with the season-long systemic disease protection of Zyway brand fungicides from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides protect corn crops from key foliar diseases and support physiological benefits that help develop healthier, higher yielding corn for a difference you'll appreciate at harvest. Visit your FMC retailer for an at-plant advantage. Always read and follow all label directions. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of the Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for the Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. Do you know how much one stock of wheat is worth? Well, you're about to find out. Wheat is a member of the grass family that produces a dry, one-seeded fruit commonly called a kernel. There are about 1 million kernels of wheat in a bushel, about 50 kernels per stock, which if we do the math is about 20,000 stocks of wheat per bushel. That means that if a bushel is worth $8, then each stock is worth about 0.04 cents. So you would need 2,500 wheat stocks to equal $1. Now that one bushel of wheat will yield approximately 42 pounds of white flour or 60 pounds of whole wheat flour. A bushel of wheat makes about 42 pounds of pasta or 210 servings of spaghetti. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. And in the United States, one acre of harvested land yields an average of around 45 to 50 bushels of wheat. So if you ever wondered how much one stock of wheat was worth, now you know. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. 
And welcome back to AOA here today, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel and Cenex Roadmaster XL. Everyday products powered locally. That's Cenex. Well, right now we want to have a conversation about a sustainable food supply. There's a lot happening in the world. We continue to hear about various food shortages. We have pandemics. We have geopolitical conflicts, wars that have impacted our food supply around the entire globe. And here to give us some perspective and talk about this, we have Matt Simpson, CEO of Brazil Potash, with us here today. Matt, thanks for joining us on AOA. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jesse. Well, just for starters, I, I want to set up a little background uh, for folks about you and, and what you do with Brazil Potash. So can you just tell us a little bit about your role and a little bit more about Brazil Potash here, just for starters, Matt? Sure. So I'm the CEO of Brazil Potash, and uh, we're building a new potash mine in uh, Brazil. Uh, so for people, I'm sure your readers are, are very familiar with potash. It's one of the three main uh, nutrients used to grow food and, and what it largely does is um, strengthen the stem of a plant to make it more resilient whether that's due to uh, bug bites uh, drought temperature swings it just helps the plant thrive during those stresses great stuff there well and of course potash one of the key fertilizers that a, a lot of growers use around the world and Obviously, trying to grow a sustainable food supply is uh, is very key. You know, we see continued expansion of agriculture in South America, in Brazil, for instance, and then obviously uh, all the great things that our, our U.S. farmers do and uh, Canadian farmers as well, etc. Uh, but there's a lot going on here in the last couple of years that has uh, really uh, kind of taken a hit to our, our global food supply. Between I think about the Russia-Ukraine conflict and more. There's just a uh, there's a lot going on. Throw climate change effects in there. There's there's a lot of things that are impacting our, our food supply chain, isn't there, Matt? Yeah, look, and, and Brazil is particularly exposed. Brazil um, is one of the largest net exporters of agricultural goods. They export about 110 billion US a year, uh, but they import 98 percent of their potash. They're heavily exposed, and when you think about potash. Um, Roughly 42% of the world's potash comes from sanctioned countries, Russia and Belarus. And in Brazil, um, because again, of their import dependence, it, it exposes not only Brazil, but the world, and including the United States, to some of the food insecurity, because it's essential that farmers in Brazil also have access to that key nutrient. Well, and you think about those key nutrients and, and just food shortages and you know, it feels like that if we don't act soon, this problem could become even more dire, which to your point, what you guys are doing with Brazil potash, trying to create uh, more sources and another potash mine. It seems like we're already starting to do some of the things we need to do in order to avoid this situation becoming a bit more dire, but there's still more that could be done, isn't there, Matt? Yeah, look, I, I like to call it selective globalization, Jesse, and all I mean by that is that there's certain essential goods and services that when you can produce them domestically, you, you should. And in the case of potash, I mean, it's crazy to think that one of the biggest potash basins in the world is in the backyard of a Brazilian farmer at the same time when they're importing 98% of their need. Well, and some folks, you know, may look at this situation and go, okay, well, Brazil produces more potash and they use a lot of that down there. Then that could maybe divert some of the other supplies to other parts of the globe, like the U.S., et cetera. Do you see with more fertilizer trying to come online that that could possibly change the trade flows of fertilizer around the globe here, Matt? Yeah, I, I look, I think I'll answer your question this way. I'd say that um, there was supposed to be about 7.7 .7 million tons of new potash coming on in Russia over the next eight years. There's supposed to be about another four to five million tons coming from Belarus and about five million tons coming from Canada. And if all that came on stream, supply and demand would be pretty well balanced. But I think the concern is that Belarus being sanctioned right now is only able to export about half of what they historically have so well, why would you build more tonnage in that country and russia also being uh, heavily sanctioned right now is going to struggle to find any sort of international finance options so if, if we assume none of that in belarus is built only about half of what's coming out of russia uh, new gets built that, that means that we're going to see a deficit jesse so it's, it's really important that we look for other stable supplies of potash and, and it's great to see a big company like bhp building the jansen project in canada 
So I think that's going to really, really help uh, mitigate some of this geopolitical risk. But it, it also reinforces the importance of, of us building our project in Brazil. Matt, uh, as well, kind of just before we before we let you go here, a couple final things. I, I mean, the overall question of is there hope for a sustainable food future? In, in your opinion, and through all the work you do uh, with Brazil Potash, is there hope for a sustainable food future at this point? Yeah, look, I think there's there definitely is hope in that regard, Jesse. I think though that we need to do more uh, education with uh, with farmers, make sure they understand proper nutrient application rates, and, and those application rates do change based on soil conditions. They change based on crop, um, but it's proven that there's a direct linear relationship between fertilizer application and crop yield. So coming back to also all about you know deforestation, etc., it's it's absolutely critical, especially in places like Brazil where there's a you know, historic under um, application of, of fertilizers and there's a terrible history of burning some of the rainforest to increase plants that are used to grow food because when you, you burn a tree, it, it also naturally creates quite a bit of nutrients in the soil. So it's, it's important that farmers understand that they, they need to maximize yields on, on land that's already under plow before they, they look to expand. And, and it may not be as big of an issue in the US, but in countries like Brazil, it's, it's a huge issue, Jesse. Well, Matt, uh, before we let you go, uh, we, we covered a lot here in a, a short amount of time, and uh, I've enjoyed the discussion. Any final thoughts you would share with us or anything you would want to reiterate to folks? Um, I guess, again, my, my final thought would be if, if you're able to produce it domestically and it's an essential nutrient that you can't do without, you, you should do that because that's going to help guarantee food for people in your country, but it's also going to help with the world's food security. Fantastic. Well, I know folks can learn more about Brazil Potash as well and what you guys are doing at brazilpotash.com. We've been talking with their CEO, Matt Simpson. Matt, thanks for joining us here on the program today, and we appreciate the time, and we wish you a great rest of your day. Thanks for having me, Jesse. Have a great day. All right. A busy show here today on AOA Agriculture of America, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil oil that runs smart we are out of time here today coming up on our next program we'll talk with dan hallstrom from the u.s meat export federation and markets with arlen suderman of stonex have a great rest of your day i'm jesse allen thanks for listening to aoa when people look at your farm they just see corn but to you it's a lot more than that it's a college fund your retirement plan and it deserves trait protection that can stand up to heavy pressure threats like corn woodworm. SmartStacks Pro with RNAi technology is trusted on over 1 million acres to protect the things that mean more. Trade up at SmartStacksPro.com. Always read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org.